This is the Evolution Exchange podcast, a channel that connects some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Andy. I help connect businesses with the best UX and UI freelance talent. And today I'm your host. Okay, and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Olga, who's the Associate UX UI Director at King, Dish, who's the Senior Product Manager at Unity, Mark, who's the Lead UX Designer at Massive Entertainment, and Ollie, who's the Head of Products at Skidos. Today, we're going to be discussing the topic, UX or game design, what comes first? So a very interesting topic. Uh, we've got lots of questions to go through today, so let's jump in with some introductions first before we jump into our questions. So, Olga, please can you give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Um, hi, my name is Olga. I work as an Associate UI UX Director at King, particularly on a project Candy Crush Soda. Uh, I've been working in gaming industry for around 13 years now, and it's always been uh, user experience design for me. It's always been mobile as well for me. Uh, and um, my day-to-day -day King, I um, work a lot with game design director on creative direction and make sure that my team is happy and productive. Perfect. Thank you very much. Dish, let's come to you. Please, can you give us your introduction? Sure thing. So, hi, I'm Dish, and uh, as I mentioned, I work as a senior product manager at Unity. Um, before that, I was working uh, at Trollview as well as a product manager. And uh, I worked, I have a background in data analytics, so that's how I came to, to, to product management. Um, um, my daily work, uh, I could say I work very closely with product designers and uh, engineering team and data science team as well in Unity on building uh, new products that we'll uh, hopefully see coming to the market very soon. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, Mark, can you give us your introduction, please? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, hi, my name is Mark Sudermans and um, yeah, thank you for inviting me. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here and uh, do this podcast. So currently I work as a, as a lead UX designer at Massive, a Ubisoft company in Malmö, Sweden. Um, I work on the new Avatar Frontiers to Pandora AAA title. And before that, I worked for a couple of other game development studios in the UK and Germany, like Ghost and Criterion Studios from Electronic Arts and Ubisoft and Minds, and also studios who develop browser or mobile games. Um, I also gained experience working in other industries like uh, interactive media and advertising agencies. Um, I'm in the game industry or like I'm in the industry since 2008, so already 13 years now. Uh, I studied graphic design and later game design and first worked as a motion designer, then later transitioned to game design. And since 2011, I've been working in UX and also UI design. Um, yeah, uh, besides that, I'm also doing some freelance work as an art director and games I worked on include, yeah, uh, the so-called Avatar Fortress of Pandora, uh, Need for Speed Heat, Skull and Bones, and for mobile, I worked on Football Empire, and I also worked on some browser games such as Might and Magic Heroes Online and Cultures Online. Uh, and yeah, uh, basically, I, I also really like to write articles about game and UX design topics, uh, give trainings and lessons and yeah, just share my knowledge. Perfect. Thank you very much, Mark. And lastly, Oli, let's come to you then if you could just give us your introduction. Sure. Thank you. My name is Oli. Uh, I started working with games in 96, way back, <laughs> because I, uh, am, I'm actually trained as an educationalist and teacher. And uh, I work with kids who couldn't attend normal school, but they wanted to play games a lot. So I thought, let's make some learning games. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And it's 
30 uh, odd games on PlayStation and PC and, and apps, of course. And currently I work in Skeeters, where we are doing a subscription uh, learning platform. We take current games and we replace advertisement and in-app purchases with learning content. And then we publish that as part of the whole package with uh, the, as a new title. Um, so we create the learning content, but we don't create the games. Um, and we have around 80 apps on the app stores right now. So, so I get to see a lot of, of data and a lot of things what, what work or doesn't work in the, in the children's and parents section. Um, so that's briefly that. Brilliant. Thank you very much and thank you to all of you. Uh, now we've got uh, our introduction sorted, let's go deep into our topic then. So our first question is going to come from Olga. So Olga, please can you give us the first question? Yeah, absolutely. So my question is, why is the adoption of user experience as a craft is so much higher in mobile gaming compared to console and PC uh, oriented studios? Um, I'm going to try and give a little bit of a context, uh, just judging through an experience and uh, talking to people in the industry. Um, and having worked in AAA myself, I can very clearly tell that in, in mobile it's a lot more oriented to single out user experience design as a separate craft in addition to game design whereas in a lot of more traditional AAA console or pc oriented studios it's a lot more uh conventional that game design is covering that expertise uh, under like the the game design craft um so what are your thoughts on why do you think that is happening lovely it's a great first question to uh, kick us off with. So, Ollie, let's come to you first and get your thoughts on Olga's question. Yeah, I was thinking, like, actually, if you look at this in the perspective of media, like, we started with stories around the campfire in the Stone Age, and then along the line came theater, and then came books, and then came movies, and then came games. And and mobile games is driven very much by technology. And, and it's the first time we have a tactile interface. Uh, where you have to touch it and I think that that makes a difference uh, to all the other media where you can you can let the story drive more but on mobile you 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 get crucified if it doesn't work if I can put it like so you you just you're just forced to and and you can get away maybe I can say you can get away with more story on other media or also in traditional games because uh, People are slower, they take more time, for instance, in console playing games and are willing to invest more time. Uh, then the time span on mobile is also very, very short. So you have to you have to be on your point right out of the box. <laughs> Dish, let's come to you then, um, based on what Ollie just said there in Olga's in uh, initial question. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'd actually like to build on what Ollie mentioned. Like maybe one one key thing that in, uh, in mobile, especially free to play, like uh, Retaining, especially early retention, is quite tricky, and uh, because of that, you need to. Uh, and as well, conversion is quite rare, right? You like only very few amount of uh, players re uh, convert at the end, uh, which is of course ultimately what you, you want to have. So for that, you need to provide a really good user experience. Mm -hmm. If you don't provide that user experience, uh, either you'll churn, or they will not convert, or even worse, churn after conversion. So it's it's an ongoing process in, in a way. It's not only when you are building the game and building the, the design, it's an ongoing process, part of your operation somehow. Mm -hmm. Matt, let's uh, get your opinion on this. Yeah, um, so 
basically, so from my experience, I can only like kind of partly agree uh, with that, to be honest. It's uh, to me, it's not so much the platform and genre, but rather like how the company is structured, uh, the setup and how much budget is allocated to the disciplines. Uh, and above all, like how big the teams are, right? Like how big the project is. Uh, I only have one work experience where I worked on a mobile game, but there was a clear distinction between game and UX design. Um, I also see the role of the UX designer as not only being involved in the um, conception, uh, like for example, the game design feature phase, uh, but also very much in the research part, analytics, uh, user research, as well as accessibility. Um, and beyond like the whole experience uh, a consumer has when buying the game or the product, right? Like from marketing, unpacking, installation, post-gaming, like social media, um, newsletters and so on. So to me, it's really like depending what are the responsibilities and ownerships that were defined by the company uh, and how can these be divided within the disciplines. Um, I think that if these areas of work uh, were to be shifted to just game design, it would create a lot of work and maybe bottlenecks as well. So I guess it's a question of how much can and do uh, the company want to invest in the different disciplines, or is it also like bought in via external service providers, right? Like such as accessibility or testing consultants. Um, in general, like to me, kind of the best cases would be if uh, UX design and game design share the methodologies and the knowledge. So game design can already focus on UX, right? Uh, or take it into consideration. And also the other way around, right? Like UX designers can gain more uh, game design knowledge. So best would be to share knowledge in the studio. I think that's there anyway. In the end, game design has to take UX factors um, into account at an early stage anyway, right? Um, but in general, I think there are like a few really interesting specific areas that are getting more focus in mobile development. It's not just like the UI topics, such as like modularity uh, of screens, for example, um, like screen resolutions, a lot of different mobile devices, element sizes, localization and all this kind of stuff, and especially performance, right? But for me, mobile is very interesting. As with browser games, there are a lot of uh, free-to-play games. So there is a special UX focus, namely onboarding. Um, how do I uh, draw players into the game? How do I make the first minutes interesting? Um, it's so quickly, yeah, <laughs> deleted from the mobile phone, right? If it's not attractive and above all, how do I keep the players in the game? What are the mechanics that keep the player coming back? Uh, but mostly importantly, spending also um, real money on it, right? Um, the acceptance of weaknesses in the game is, is, is higher if I previously invested 60 euros in a game than if I have free access to the game, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting hearing, you know, your perspective coming from like a, a console PC type of studio compared to like Ollie and uh, Olga both on mobile games. So Ollie, just off the back of what Mark said there, uh, as you know, what are your further thoughts after hearing Mark speak there? Well, I think, I think he's right in many points. I mean, but uh, yeah, because you it's yeah, we just have to make sure that people stay in the game, and and that's that's pretty tough. But I think that the really important key is when the conversion happens, because that drives a lot of business and a lot of investment. Because if you buy a PlayStation game, you already converted. So mm. so I can give you anything. I mean, you paid the money already. I mean, that's of course very 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 rude. I mean, in in a way and very crude set, but. But uh, I think the the environment of so so much free content 
has has done this very very important um has made it yeah an important issue to 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 use but still the story is the story is very important we'll get back to that later maybe also yeah, in yeah. the question so so from you know the two points we've heard there uh Olga, mark and ollie speaking do you think it's more of like a retention type of thing then um like what are your thoughts after it was your initial you know question what are your thoughts after hearing that oh i think i absolutely agree with all the points me truth be told like there's so many um i think there's so many reasons primarily the monetization type kind of dictates that because there's a lot of free to play the market is extremely competitive and therefore the focus is on the, those first like minutes of experience and it needs to be tailored over and over. There needs to be so much research that's put in. So that's why there's so much focus and attention and work that UX is doing in that space. But then also working with marketing as like Mark mentioned, trying to connect everything in a coherent experience. But then also human attention span has shortened since we've been introduced to mobile phones. So <laughs> that also is not playing in a, as a great factor. I think that's that's a contribution. I also agree with the point of uh, on console and PC, you already made a purchase and that kind of extends your commitment and you are ready to go through certain frustrations. And I'm going to give you an example. I recently, we, I raised a discussion on my Facebook. It's like why all recent game recommendations start with, you have to suffer for like four, six hours, but then it's going to be good. So that's how people are now giving me recommendations to play like on console. Uh, and 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 that's fine. I, mean, I think, but it's just an interesting observation that uh, it takes longer for you to convert. And here, I mean, to convert into a loyal player or like to enjoy the game fully, it just takes you six hours and console. Whereas on mobile, we're only given sometimes thirty seconds mm. uh, to attract you that much, so you continue the session to at least be three minutes. So I think that that's also a very uh, important reason. Um, and I want to add on a little bit to that, like my personal thinking as well, is that I think because of the reason that I mentioned just now that um, in, in more traditional uh, approach to gaming development, um, UX attention focus is more shifted uh, and I might be wrong, so I, I want to hear Mark, Mark here as well. Maybe slightly shifted more towards a collaboration with UI more, right? So it's 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 sitting a little bit there. It, could that be also a reason why it's not like uh, crystallizing out as like a very separate uh, craft? Sorry, mm -hmm. follow up question. Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, before we'll come to Mark, and then uh, Ollie will come to you after, because I know you want to say something. So Mark, let's just uh, hear your point on that then. Yeah, it's super interesting. I think uh, we will hear a little bit more about like when when uh, I will ask like my question because it's like so much like to me so much dependent on like the process and the workflows uh, and how the team is structured and how you um, like how clearly you differentiate UX from UI because like I had the experience in companies where they had like a really clear distinction between UX and UI whereas like in other companies you were like um, responsible for UX and UI right like you were both designing both like the way how we communicate uh, specific information to the player so that's 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 definitely really interesting and I think it's really like as I already said like I think it's really depending how much budget how much uh, responsibilities and ownerships they want to give for the specific disciplines and sometimes it is 
just be honest, like, I mean, sometimes it is really more UI heavy than maybe in other projects, right? And then we really need to um, better differentiate between those two, right? Mm -hmm. um, but coming really quickly back to the story, like what I think is also like super, super interesting. And um, I mean, I worked on a mobile game, like the Football Empire one, which was like not really, I mean, the story driven was a bit more based on imagination, like you being a coach and raising up your play field and stuff like that. Uh, but like to me, like one really interesting thing coming from AAA games with really story heavy backgrounds, to me, what's really always interesting in mobile games is the kind of infinite design, right? That there's like no real theoretically end. Like this to me is like a super interesting um, thing, to be honest. And also like to really reach a huge audience, like really make it fun to play for a large audience. And for the rewards, I mean, yeah, I mean, the good game design loops, like the short term rewards and the longer term goals um it's also interesting because i think AAA is also aiming for that right with all the dlc stuff with consumables with customization so i wouldn't partly agree to that <laughs> i mean obviously yeah i mean freemium is definitely different um of course uh but also we have those topics for example here at ubisoft or electronic arts definitely as well i mean um this is a huge topic um and we're also really looking into that from a ux perspective Mm -hmm. uh, Ollie, did you want to just pick up on something before uh, we come to Dish, something that Olga mentioned initially? I mean, if, if I think this should continue if it's on the same track, because I have an, maybe another track. So oh, go on then, Dish, we'll, call, we'll come to you first, and then we'll just quickly go to Ollie before we go on to our second question. Okay, I, I just uh, like uh, going back to the initial question of uh, PC and mobile. Like, um, I think all our questions anyway are intertwined. But yeah, it's natural to happen like that. But I've been thinking as well, like in terms of really indeed as well, the difference in terms of content. So in mobile, uh, it's endless. So actually, the end of content is a huge crisis to you because it means the player will churn really. So, but for, for console, it's natural to reach the end of content. Which means as well, as you add content, you may as well find yourself adding a uh, new feature or you do add new features, whether for the sake of improving the experience, uh, adding uh, meta, which is very common to add more meta to your game, uh, or even to improve the monetization. And by that, you are actually touching the user experience you initially intended to have in your game. So that's why comes back to the fact that user experience is an operational process. It's, it's something inherited in mobile versus in console. Um, it's a bit different. That said, I see as well trend in uh, console games moving more and more to having more uh, uh, changes and releasing new content or releasing side missions uh, and all of that and season passes, as we can see. And there's a lot of like um, uh, things that console games now adapt from mobile and learn from mobile to, of course, create this kind of uh, lucrative business of uh, continuous conversion uh, of their players, uh, which, of course, helps in retention, but they are quite uh, connected because when you convert a player, they retain more, right? So massively much more. So, uh, but yeah, I, th I think that's where the differences come from. But I think with time, uh, especially when we think of cross-console uh, games and if we even go wider, we have to say the buzzword of metaverses. I think this will, we have to mention, right? Uh, I think the user experience importance in console as well will increase more and more and more. And we become more of as an operational craft more. 
Well, it is uh, a very interesting question, Olga, and I'm sure it's one that, like you've all said, we could probably talk about for the whole of the podcast, never mind just 10 minutes. But, uh, Ollie, I'll come to you lastly, and then we're going to move yeah. on to the second question. Yeah, so one last thing I was inspired by the talks here is that maybe it makes a difference that we have a lot of data in mobile, almost real-time data on what people are doing. And and I have no idea if you if that's available in console games or PC games, but but that is kind of a very very powerful tool, and and what happens when you have a tool you you start look around for usage for that, and and that, that drives changes. I mean when you publish a mobile game it's it's not you're not done you just started, <laughs> and mm. and. Maybe I'm being naive about publishing a console game, but you don't. Maybe you don't update it as often as you do with mobile games. I mean, so so that's also why you actually have you actually have information with which you can change your or improve your user experience, uh, and that it's it's quite harder to do if you don't have that access to data. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's change direction slightly. Let's go into our second question because we've got a lot to go through. So we're going to come to uh, Dish. Let's have your uh, question for us, please. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, my question is a bit of um, <laughs> an interesting one. Uh, okay, to phrase it maybe the best way, I would say, um, because it's like two questions, but maybe they are quite uh, connected. Do you think as now uh, games, especially mobile games, are moving more and more toward personalization? By that, I mean providing a different experience um, to players, uh, whether by grouping people in leaderboards based on their experience or even in especially casual games or puzzle games where uh, there isn't much like player versus player experience. So you can actually maintain the fairness by ex providing different experiences as a difficulty or having certain safety nets to make sure players don't drop or churn or, uh, uh, or as I mentioned, like difficult curves of the, of the levels or even providing different levels or even different UI. All of those are things mobile games try to do. Do you think because of the fact that this is now becoming more and more uh, as a trend, uh, the importance of user experience teams working cl in closely with the game team is becoming more important because, which is the second question I hadn't quite much related to that, user experience have been always viewed as this qualitative team that provide qualitative data to the game team. And as Oli mentioned now, uh, data is immense in mobile, which means you can get a lot of quantitative views about your game and as well the experience of people playing it. So frankly speaking as well, a lot of game teams are like, okay, we have tons of quantitative, we have some qualitative of like 10,000, 100, even 1,000 players, who should we care about more? And of course the caring and decision-making happens more, more based on the quantitative one. But with the personalization, there's a lot of intent that you cannot measure using quantitative data. So what made the player take this decision? What made them uh, play this game mode more? It's hard. You cannot get that from data. You can somehow guesstimate it, but you can get it using surveys or using as well some some tools that user experience team can do. And now the interesting point uh, here is that these two can overlap. So you can run your surveys, know and segment players, and this segment you can look into their quantitative data. So now I know these players have this behavior, and now let's see how the quantitatively play the game from the data and then monitor them. So now 
UX team is not anymore a one-time report thing presentation. You can actually have dashboards with collaboration with the data analysis team and, and uh, to have actually quantitative data that measure these cohorts or segments, but these segments were identified based on their intent and using the user experience team. So do you think that with time, my question is, do you think that with time, because of that need, um, there will be higher and higher importance given within studios to scale their UX team, have it as a craft and as well integrated within game teams as we see with UA teams now being integrated with like game teams because of the importance of UA, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, Olga, let's come to you then um, to get your thoughts on Dishy's question. I have a, a whole pile of thoughts on that. That was like <laughs> a very heavy loaded question. Uh, but to kind of give a short answer and try to elaborate, uh, yes, I do believe that is already happening. That's the shift that I'm already seeing on the market, at least. Uh, if you have noticed, they've been appearing like some new roles within UX, like user experience analysts. So people who do sit somewhere in between. So um, I'm a firm believer in... Um, in the fact that quantitative data tells us what, what, qualitative data tells us how. So I don't think that they can exist without each other. They need to be tightly collaborating. And I think um, further and further, we're going to see um, UX becoming that, if we're going to look at like traditional cross-functional teams working in mobile environment today, they're going to be seeping in and integrating a lot more with cross-functional teams because they're providing a lot of valuable input and data, but it's not only on the side of a data, I'm gonna say like with the trends and personalization, we're now seeing a lot of science is being used, a lot of a lot of like psychology, a lot of cognitive behavioral psychology that needs to be used. And a lot of designers are now need to be equipped with this knowledge and tools in order to get that input to the teams to inform why certain decisions could be made, how humans make decisions, how, they uh, avoid making decisions in certain situations and what situations can we create for them to push them towards a decision-making process in more efficiently and a much better and not overloading way. So it's a lot of that input, I think, that is required more and more mobile today because, again, games grow, there's too much content. We have to operate that. And then because the games are growing now, if you look at like casual market and think, well, you know, it's just like a clicker game. You open it and it's like feature upon feature upon feature and upon feature. And that's why I think a lot of contemporary companies are coming towards personalization is to curate that experience and to choose the best experience for that particular player. And there is so much stuff that is going into that. But I think it all starts with science first and then validating as you go through qualitative and quantitative together it's like through data triangulation we're trying to kind of use this as a lens to kind of uh seep through our hypothesis and find out okay are we moving in the right direction but i think it's <laughs> netflix ruined us all i don't know if you have been in those types of meetings where like someone is like let's do something like netflix i think everything now all products that are like entertainment at least are trying to move in that personalization um area and it will require so much more ux involvement the further we go down the path mark let's come to you um and just hear your opinions on what Olga said there as well yeah basically i can only agree to be very honest uh, i was thinking a little bit from the personalization more from the gameplay side maybe we do have a bit of time to go through this later on but to answer this question now um yeah i think i think it's mainly 
already everything being said. I think it's very important, like what are the expectations, right, of all the data and expectations um, of the data and all the, the the research we are doing, right? Because if we don't have like a goal or a clear expectation of that, what are we doing with data? What are we doing with all the research, right? Like to me, it is super, super important to always include um, like UXR in our development cycle as early as possible to um, building up those expectations. And this is always in collaboration, not just through UX design, it's always uh, including game design as well. If the expectation is something from the UI team, if we like differ again, <laughs> if we differ to UI design, then uh, include them as well. And I think that that visibility is super, super important and I can only yeah, really encourage everyone in the team to be really open into UXR and into uh, those findings and testings and really take them seriously because this is why we're doing this, right? Like uh, this, like uh, the user is, uh, yeah, on the user-centered design, I mean, we, we do this for the user, right? So, um, and for us, like also on the AAA side, I mean, yeah, we do uh, a lot of, um, we have an analytics team, we have a game intelligence team. Um, so we do a lot of, of testings. We do it really on cascading, on milestones, on builds and stuff like that. So we collect a lot of that, but as I already said, like to me, like what, yeah, again, what are the expectations for it and how did it change from the last play test? This is also like super interesting to me. Like, um, did we achieve that goal? Like. First of all, like what were the expectations? What did we want to achieve? And then really um, compare it to the last findings and then really see, okay, did it proved? Uh, and one thing I think for everyone, like for game design, UX design, but like on everyone on development, which can be like a pro, but can also be a con, <laughs> is it wasn't never being that visible as as now with social media, with all the platforms, with all the forums and all this kind of stuff. We can already dig into that as well and really see what players like have as expectations or have for findings or for yeah, what they think about your game. Um, and I really like what you mentioned, Olga, the thing on hypothesis, because this is really something I'm super keen on um, to really build up hypothesis, but then also really test it really, really quickly, like a bit more into the Lean UX approach, right? Then to really already test it and see um, if it's proved. So yeah, this this would be more like coming from, from data and, and analytics. And um, also before what Ola said, um, that's like super interesting. I think the data you will receive with mobile is like a really big con, absolutely. But as I said, like with um, with gaming, um, with with triple A title production, we can use the UXR also uh, early on, and we don't have to wait till anything is kind of finished in engine. We should and could already use paper prototypes. We can just have visuals to uh, show this to the audience to collect feedback. I mean, nothing is stopping us, right? We can have really um, normal prototypes, click prototypes uh, on paper or whatever, right? We should really test early on. Mm -hmm. yeah. Before we uh, move on to the next question, Oli, let's hear from you and get your final thoughts on uh, Dish's initial question. But I can only agree to what's been said. <laughs> yeah, it's it's already happening. And, and, and the question with, uh, I love the UX analysts. It, it's, that's super important position. Because I can tell in learning what we try to gauge or measure is the, the, the effort the child puts in, the attitude and the results they're making. And, and that creates an emotion finally, like you should feel more confident. That's what we want to achieve. But how do you measure confidence? I mean, that's, 
is super spooky and scary <laughs> that we'll be able to do that with data from smartwatches and eye reading and, and a lot of other devices coming in the next 10 years. It, there's a lot of ethic dilemmas coming up in this also, but that's what we want. It, it ends in an emotional state because we, we provide an experience that is providing an emotional change or experience that we want to achieve. And that's how can we measure that? And But I think a lot of games are doing it already uh, brilliantly. Dish, before we um, move on to our next uh, question, let's just get, you know, it was obviously your question that was posed and it's uh, caused a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of interesting uh, thoughts there. So your final thoughts after hearing from the other guests then? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm it's really interesting to see like how that, uh, I think we all agree on the importance on that. Um, maybe one, one reflection on that is how, uh, different companies perceive UX team, you know, because I think some invest, some agrees with us, but I guess some don't, or, or they see partially the value on that. And I think it has to do as well with type of games they build. If as Olga mentioned, uh, they are trying to, uh, focus on the user experience and as well build these kind of games that are focused on certain type of players, then user experience importance grows more and more and more. Uh, there's very little space to build a game that could be a blockbuster, really, uh, because of how much it costs to have a game like that and uh, the probability of having a game like that, which means uh, many studios are heading towards having this several games that are tailored for certain type of players and that means having its personalization as well and it means having uh high importance more and more to the user experience so it'd be interesting to see how how that will uh, will grow and uh, within different studios i think every one of these questions we'll have today is uh one of them ones that could last as a whole podcast themselves because uh, <laughs> yeah. there's so much to talk about but we're gonna have to move on to our third question which is going to come from ollie so ollie please can you give us the third question of the day yeah my uh, my question or my purpose is to dig a little bit into what you call ugly games like uh, minecraft and roblox they look ugly, and in the beginning, they sorry guys, but and in the beginning, they, they treated the users kind of harshly. And you can also see some uh, uh, Nintendo games. Uh, you you had really like to struggle just to get started, and um, but what they do, they uh, they work really well anyway. So for some, in some cases, they trigger the problem-solving mind, or you can call it that a challenge. And some players really love that. I mean, you can give them anything that is hard; they'll just love it. But these games also provide a social value to players that invest time and effort. So, so they become valuable to other players by telling them you should do this and this, and this is how you, this is how you manage this boss, or this you how to do this uh, impossible level. And maybe, maybe it's even more true for for Nintendo games. But uh, so, can a user experience? Because I've always like jumped into games and just done the game part and get the story right. Then the rest will come. But that's not true anymore. So. So, but can we provide too much so it becomes like too convenient and we just don't care? I mean, so that's my question. Can we become too good at UX? What's, <laughs> the, what's the ultimate goal? Well, Olga, you uh, help answer that then. I dream of that day uh, when <laughs> the UX is so perfect. I think uh, particularly like with the examples that you gave, it does also cater to a specific type of audience, right? I think... Um, 
unfortunately, the older we get, the less curiosity we have and like the less exploratory mind we have. And people have a lot less patience towards exploring and finding um, their own way of playing a game. Um, and that's why it's like they do cater to younger audiences where they have a lot more time on their hands and then they're not afraid of going and like uh, dying over 15 times trying to find out how to uh, interact with one thing, right? I, I think it's all shaped by, um, by, by target audience. And I think each, um, each game will find their own audience. It just depends on like how big or how small that is going to be. Um, uh, I'll then bring an example of Dark Souls, a game that I can't play because you have to die over and over and over and over <laughs> to, try, to try and find the right way. So uh, it doesn't cater to me as, and I'm not their type of player and they probably didn't account for my type of a persona when they were designing a game and that's fine and that's okay and we should be fine with that. I think we should be striving to design great experiences for specific people. We shouldn't be trying to design great experiences for everyone because they don't exist. I think it's a utopia is thinking that we can design everything great for everyone. There's always going to be people who have played a better game or prefer a certain type of experience. And I think this is go going back to our previous conversation about personalization. I think a lot of contemporary games are trying to move to that place where we're trying to find what's that specific type of experience that this particular type of a player is going to enjoy. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Brilliant. No, thank you very much. Uh, Matt, let's come to you. Yes, agree. <laughs> Very short. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, again, I can only agree to, to, to all that points. I think it's really important to know the audience, right? And I think it's really like stick to your vision. I think uh, the game example, like from the, 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 the games from, from software, are like a really good example for that as well. But I think uh, like maybe coming back a little bit more to the um, imagination part right like i think the greatest work of video games me may, maybe their potential to nurture um, our imaginations right the interesting question here to me is a bit more whether games that challenge the Im imagination of players more or less are more successful there's certainly controversy here, right like for example we sports uh, succeed not only because of its accessible interface um, but because it reduced the degree of imagination required to play a video game to the point that actually anyone can play it right uh, but the reality of the market for games of all kinds is that more imaginative games do achieve a measure of commercial success uh, precisely because the more uh, imaginative players spend more time and money playing games uh, than less imaginative players and the situation is unlikely to change right and coming back to my uh, to minecraft um, or also uh, games that were inspired by that like little big planet series or super mario maker like those sandbox games uh, still tend to confine the least the sensory experience to the creator's vision like in minecraft you can build a model of I don't know, like the Eiffel Tower, and I can build a model of the Millennium Falcon, but we're still using the same voxel blocks, right? Uh, I could also argue that building things in the sandbox, a toolbox game, is actually less like playing a game and more like design and crafting. So we move even like farther from play when users create mods and total conversions, since then players become game creators themselves, right? Like see Roblox, for example. I think that's a, that's a good example for this as well, even with its controversy. <laughs> Hmm. Dish, let's come to you lastly before we move on again. Oh, okay. 
so um, I, I've been trying hard to find a way to disagree, but I do agree. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe to add to add on that, I think um, just as well to reflect on why these games become successful. I think very few of them become successful, uh, and I think it's a wild risk. And I always appreciate uh, gaming companies that build games like that because I'll come, I come a little bit from the evil side. Maybe you can think about it this way: so how to make money out of the games, right? And it, it can be very hard to sell the idea of let's do a game that just focus on that kind of very wild imagination and user experience because the 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 chance that you fail is high it's really for a certain niche to players uh at the same time it comes with very high like um sunk cost effect uh or like the fact that once you invest in something uh and you stick to it as a fan uh i will continue playing this game i haven't even if i ask you i have no idea why i'm still continuing but i just invested so much time already in it so it's it's a psychological thing as well that they have that you really hooked into it uh so yeah, I think that maybe maybe the only thing I can add regarding that. No, not at all. It's good to hear your thoughts. So Ollie, let's just come back to you. Obviously, it was your question, just to you know get your opinions on what's been said there. But yeah, I think it, it's right. I think it's about knowing your audience. I mean, that's really to the point. And I think it 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 caters for different needs, for different uh, peoples, and 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 that's why for some people being able to get add their own imagination and, and sharing is very, very important. And for, for other people, the the short-term kind of individual experience is what they want at that time. And, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah, thanks for all the thanks for all the, the, the ideas, which is really, really interesting. No, it was a it was a great question. So thank you for that. Um okay, so we'll move on to our last question of the podcast then, which will come from Mark. So Mark, please can you give us your question? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, this goes back a bit to the discussion we we started with, like based on uh, processes and workflows. So this really wraps up wraps up this uh, podcast really nicely, I guess. <laughs> so the question for me is um, of game design or UX design, which comes first, like conditionally uh, or underlies a process or workflow, right? I would be interested to know how you integrate game design, but especially UX design, uh, into your workflow at your company. Uh, also in terms of how these two departments or disciplines work with each other. Um, yeah, general, like, I mean, I ask this because I'm very interested in workflows and processes and um, how the setup is like uh, in other companies uh, regarding the collaboration with gameplay design and UX design. That was a bit the context. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, let's go to Olga first on this then. <clears throat> sure, I'll try to quickly describe <laughs> the process that, that took us <laughs> Uh, a year and a half to flesh out, so I'll, <laughs> I'll try to be concise. But uh, I'm a firm believer in very tight collaboration between UX and game design. And the reason for it is because UX in gaming in particular kind of appeared from game design. So it's inevitable part of that that whole building experience. And that's why, uh, particularly uh, in our uh, company, which had to collaborate from the start, I think it saves a lot of time and effort because um, both UX designer and game designer collaborate from the conception of the idea. And then all, as they go, the UX designer is there to help validate the idea from from the initial thought uh, to the documentation. And then they work in such a synergy that by the time we get to the like a um, ready-made um, 
solution, right? There've been in, in its synergy so much that there's not that many questions that UX could have to game design and vice versa. It's like packaged nicely and then both were driving that process. Uh, and like in the way we map process, it's all parallel. So, um, and like we look at the process in like three stages, which I think is like very conventional to these days is like, there's a problem space, a solution space, well, like problem discovery, solution discovery and delivery. So like the problem discovery and solution discovery is that where game design and UX work in parallel. We do have like stages of how each craft goes through these processes and they're mapped one-to-one. -one. They're not doing the same things, but they are focusing in the same area, right? So <clears throat> both of them are doing work in parallel, but they have to come back, like converge very, very often and be like in such a great sync. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how it works at King. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, Dish, let's come to you. Yeah, um, um, like my um, very short answer would be like that. I'm personally like pro um, it being a process instead of like conditionally. Um, I think as a process, um, like two sides. One, when you actually decide to invest in a game, like should we scale this game? Should we put you a money in this game? Actually, even before that, should we prototype the game and start to soft launch it and test it? Uh, user experience team, I would say even lead that discussion, like uh, and explore that area and domain and how the game will be like and why. And you can even rely on other existing games data as well, right? So I think that's part of the process. The second is as you build the game and as you develop the game and as you start touching the game and trying to understand your players, what we spoke about already before, uh, user experience is part of that process. You should not release a feature, especially features that have this kind of intrinsic value that is so hard to measure by just A-B testing the feature. Uh, involving user experience team is, should be part of the process. And I experienced that uh, as well myself. Um, so as, as in when it comes to building games. Nice. Oli, let's come to you. Yeah, so uh, I joined four years ago. We were a startup and now we are scale up and we were we were lacking people all the time. So uh, also we didn't make the games ourselves. So we had to inherit user experiences in many cases from other studios. But what we've done is we've set a process in. So when we get a game in, we evaluate it and test it. And and uh, we have now we have uh, two user experience designers working with us, and then we actually change them a lot of times. We make them easier or slower or take away features that are confusing. And on top of that, we have the whole onboarding, which is for the parents. So we sell to the parents, and the kids are the users. So we're serving two masters just to make it worse. So <laughs> so the whole onboarding about about that is for the parents and, and that we do by raw experimentation, simply brute forcing it because we we made a backend to where it's possible for us to change the onboarding without having to republish on the app store. So we can try out different images and text. And so that's kind of, we need to do it better with UX analysts. That's the new, that's the new girl we need. <laughs> so. So we are coming. We're coming to a place uh, where it it has defined processes uh, and and is more formal and it's following like just like Olga said with product discovery and and mapping it to. We're using strategize as a tool where you make your value proposition map and you 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 map it to your customers' jobs to be done and pains and gains and and then we try to map a feature to that. 
So uh, yeah, that's but it's it's fairly new within the last six to nine months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's important. We have to do it. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, let's come back to you then just to uh, round the podcast off. Obviously, that was your last question. Um, just want to get your opinions after hearing uh, the opinions of the other guests there. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for all your input. Very, very interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm always I'm always really keen into that, like also when I'm on conference and stuff, like really talking about that. Um, and I totally agree. I mean, to me also, like uh, the close collaboration is like really key, but also one important rule for me is also to involve UX as early as possible. Um, and that would mean like in the concept and design phase of a feature work. So UX designers are able to give input and feedback early on, right? Um, that to me is like kind of the golden path. And Obviously, I mean, yeah, we need to break off the silos like the silo work. Um, so the more complex the feature, the more uh, involvement needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, of course, depending on the workflow, because to me, um, the workflow really defines this process. With a clear and good workflow, we define the concrete pipeline of how we start a feature work okay. as we make sure that the UX is installed and integrated properly so we can work mm -hmm. efficiently and uh, effectively, right? Um, yeah. And also like what, what Olga also mentioned is like um, all of that took time also, right? For, for us, for the improvement and streamline processes. So there's not really one size fits all solution and has to be adapted depending on the team and the team size and the project and also the company's DNA. Uh, but the reward after all, the effort is really to see how these processes interact with each other and to recognize more and more improvements over time. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been uh, a fantastic uh, last topic to last question even to finish on. And I think, like I said earlier, we could go on for hours and hours talking about all the different aspects of this topic. Um, so thank you, Olga, for proposing it because uh, it's offered some really good insight and uh, hopefully you've taken something from it and enjoyed it. Uh, that was the last question. So that uh, concludes the podcast for today. So I'll take this opportunity to thank Olga, Dish, Ollie and Mark uh, for participating, for offering your opinions and questions and contributions. Um, it's been a great topic to discuss. So if you would like to join us on the next episode of the uh, Evolution Exchange podcast, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. But until then, we'll see you next time.